A very good morning and a very warm welcome to Beckles Baptist Church and to our morning service here online. My name is Tom Fenning and I have the great privilege of serving this local church as its pastor. I'm going to be leading our service and a little bit later preaching as we continue our series looking at the Old Testament book of Esther and seeing how God is hidden yet at work in saving his people. If you're joining us for the first time, let me give you a very special welcome. It's great to have you here. Uh, We pray that you know God's goodness to you, that you hear his voice as his word is open and proclaimed later, and that you might come to know and love his son. Um, Should you want to keep abreast of future services that are broadcast on our YouTube channel or other things that we put out as a church, we'd encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel and by entering in Beckles Baptist Church on YouTube, and you'll find us there. Just hit subscribe. Our service this morning is being broadcast at the same time that a service is happening in our church building for the first time since lockdown happened back in March. Um, Much the same service of what's happening here on our YouTube channel will be happening in our church building. And it's great to think that as God's people, we are meeting together, even though we're spread out, some in the building, some in the town and beyond. And we look forward very much to a time in the future when we're all able to meet back together. We'll keep you updated, of course, about how the services are going, and we will um, keep you updated about any progress that is made there in the future too. Well, we are going to hear some greetings from different people that we would have met on a Sunday morning now. Um, Here they are for you to hear from. Hi church family, great to be back working in here again. It'd be, be lovely to see you all very soon. Take care. Good morning church family. Can't wait to see you soon. Good morning folks. It would be lovely to be meeting up with you this Sunday for those of you who are at the church. I'm afraid I won't be going until September. Um, I'm letting you... Um, Test the water for me and get it all so it works sticky de boot. Anyway, I hope you're all well. I am missing you. And um, I will really look forward to September. It'll be like going back to school, won't it? Well, not, not, not quite so much for me. But anyway, take care, stay safe, and love to you all. Bye. Hello, Hello church, church family. family. Welcome to sunny Norfolk. Best wishes to everybody. Good morning, church family. It's great to see familiar faces and to hear their greetings to us. Uh, we're now going to hear uh, another familiar voice, the voice of God, as we read the Bible together. Let me read just a few verses from Psalm 146, a psalm of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. But blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Why does God deserve our praise as we meet him this morning? Well, because 
He is the God who has committed himself to us in his son, the Lord Jesus. He is our God, and we know the blessings of forgiveness and mercy this day. Let's praise God in prayer now. Father, we praise and worship you, that you are indeed the Lord, our God. Thank you for the amazing grace you show us in your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that in his name there is forgiveness, because he has died in our place. We would plead with you, dear Father, that you might cause us to be people who live to praise you and delight in knowing you. Please would you forgive us our sins. Please would you assure us of sins forgiven as we plead for mercy from your Son. And we pray that you would, granting us that sense of assurance, enable us to serve you, even now as we meet around your word as your people. These things we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. In a moment, we are going to have our Bible reading brought to us by Teresa. But before we do that, allow me to give us a really brief recap of where we're up to in the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, God's people live a long way from home in the Persian Empire, which is ruled by this very powerful man called King Xerxes. Both he and his empire look absolutely awesome, but when you look a little bit closer beneath the surface, turn out to be silly and rather dangerous. One of God's people, a lady called Esther ends up being made queen after King Xerxes removes Vashti, his previous queen. Esther's cousin, Mordecai, this man, amazingly ends up saving the king's life. Uh, his work of saving the king's life is recorded down in a book, but goes unrecognised and unrewarded. And through all of this, God appears to be hidden, yet clearly at work. Uh, then last week we met another character, uh, this man, he's a wicked man called Haman, who hatched a plot with the king's help to kill, destroy and annihilate all of God's people. And that law put all of God's people in dreadful danger and we saw that Esther had a decision to make. Would she side with God's people and put her life at risk by going and pleading with the king for the rescue of his people. As she pleaded with Mordecai to pray and to fast for three days. She said she would do the same. And it's at that point that we leave the story, waiting to see if Esther will go back to see the king without an invitation, something that could cost her her life in order to plead for God's people to be kept safe. And we're gonna pick up the story here in Esther chapter 5 and verse 1. Good morning everyone, the reading today is from Esther chapter 5, Esther's request to the king. On the third day Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be given to you. If it 
pleases the king, replied Esther. Let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be granted. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favour, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfil my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits, but when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he had neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, calling together his friends and Zeresh's wife. Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honoured him, and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave, and she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Have a pole set up, reaching to a height of fifty cubits, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. That night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officials who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honour and recognition has Mordecai received for this? the king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honour? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there? that the king would rather honour than me. So he answered the king, For the man the king delights to honour, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn, and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honour, and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. Go at once, the king commanded Haman, get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested, for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate, do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse, he robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, 
But Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh his wife and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisers and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. Amen. Well, having heard Teresa read the Bible to us, we should pray and ask that God would help us to hear him speak to us through it. Our Father in heaven, thank you that the Bible is your word and that it is living and powerful. Please would it do its work in us by your spirit to help us trust you, the God who is in control, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's one big question that I want us to consider as we go through our passage today. There's a big story, lots of stories to look at, but here's the big question that I want us to think through. Who is in control? Who is in control? Now, as we go to the Persian Empire, it might appear that um, that's a rather obvious question to answer because it looks like King Xerxes and his Prime Minister Haman are the people who are in control. But it might turn out that that's not quite the case. Why is this an important question to ask? It's an important question to ask because if we know who's in control, we know who is number one, we know who it is that we need to obey and please and praise and trust. And what we're going to see is that as we understand the answer for the Persian Empire of who is in control, we're going to learn lessons for us in our universe meaning that we will know who's in control and we know whom we should please and obey and praise and trust. As we go through our story today, we're going to find that throughout the story, things are going to be turned upside down. I wonder if you could do those actions with me. We're going to say this a few times. It would seem that things will be turned upside down things were going to change in the story in a big way. Uh, but as I said, there's lots of story to look at, so maybe you could help me by pressing the play button on your screen. And let's get back and see what happens with Esther as she goes to see the king. The first scene is set in King Xerxes' throne room. It's been three days with Esther and God's people praying and fasting, pleading for God to help Esther as she goes to see the king. And as she arrives in the throne room, she comes near King Xerxes, who turns to see her, and he's pleased to see her. Remember, her life was in real danger because she was going without an invitation. But the king looks, and he's pleased to see her. He extends his golden scepter, which Esther goes and touches. It's a sign of the king's favor. And here, Esther, who is an endangered believer, sees her life spared by the kindness of the king, but more than that, she then gets to make her request. He says, what is it that you want? And she makes a very simple request. She says to King Xerxes, come to a banquet that I'm putting on and bring Haman, your prime minister. The king is delighted to hear this and says, sure thing, we'll be there. The next scene is set at Esther's banquet. 
It is an amazing banquet with uh, loads of amazing food to eat, wine to drink. Everybody is delightfully happy. They're having a lovely time. Haman's having a lovely time. And Xerxes is having a lovely time. And so he says to Esther, now what is it? What, what's the request you wanted to make to me? Why did you endanger your life to come to see me? Like, what would you like? And she says, Exactly the same thing again. Come to a banquet tomorrow. And Haman, you come too. She wants to hold another party, so it seems. Why? Well, we'll find out when we meet there. And everybody who's been at the banquet leaves very happy, but very especially Haman. He's really happy and heads off home to tell his family of what he's been up to. So as Haman heads home to see his family and to tell them of the great day that he's just had, he is happy and he's singing a song as he's walking along and then all of a sudden he turns because who should he see but Mordecai? And as Haman walks past, Mordecai turns away and walks away He doesn't show the Prime Minister honour like everybody else does. And this changes Haman's mood from being happy to being really angry. And he rushes off home in a mood. Because Mordecai won't show him honour. As Haman arrives home to see his family and his friends, it it appears that his mood has lifted again. He's happy. And he starts to tell them about how great he is. He tells them about how he's got such an important job as the Prime Minister, how he's got so much money and so many sons. And to top it all off, he says, I, I was the only one who got invited to a special banquet with the King and the Queen. I, I'm really important. And he says to his family, he says, I am very great. He's boasting here, I am very great. But it seems that they think much the same. So they say, yeah, yeah, you are very great. You are. But then, even though it seems that Haman has got everything and it seems he's happy, his mood changes and he is now mad again because he's remembered all about Mordecai who won't show him honour and respect. And he doesn't know what to do, but one of his friends makes this horrible suggestion. He says this, Build a pole, Haman, and kill him. Build a pole. The the pole that this man means is the pole with a very sharp tip at the top on which you impale someone and kill them. And so Haman had this enormous pole made. It reached 20 metres high. And as he thought about killing Mordecai in it, his mood changed from being really angry to once again being "Mm, happy shows us how wicked Haman is. But Haman needs the king's permission before he can kill Mordecai on the pole. And it's at this point we need to stop the story. Okay, let's stop the story. So press pause on the screen, please. Okay, Brill. So let's pause the story and let's go back to that question that we started with back at the beginning. In all we've seen, I wonder how you would answer this question. Who is in control? Remember, this is a really important question so that we can know who is number one, who must be pleased and obeyed and praised. 
Now, at first, it really does seem obvious, doesn't it, who's in control? It seems that um, Haman, this wicked man, and King Xerxes seem in control because of the plan that they have hatched to kill God's people and that Haman has now to try and kill Mordecai on that hideous pole that he's had built in his house. But we're going to see, what is it? We're going to see that everything is turned upside down. Everything's about to be turned upside down. And the hint we have that that's the case is when we look at what happens to God's people in this story. Remember what happened to Esther? She went to see the king. Her life was in jeopardy. She was an endangered believer who risked her life, and yet she was shown kindness by the king. And it wasn't just that she survived. She got to make her request to the king, and he was willing to listen, and he was willing to do what she asked. So as we come back to that question, who is in control well, there's a hint that maybe, maybe God is in control because his people are being shown favour. Even though for most of God's people, they have no idea what's going on. It could be that God actually is in control. Anyway, we need to press on with the story. So maybe you'd press the play button once again. That's it. And let's pick up where we left off. That very same night that Haman was hatching this wicked idea, to kill Mordecai, in the palace and in the king's bedroom, something strange was happening because the king, he just couldn't sleep. And this is what we read happened in chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, that night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the chronicles of the record of his reign be brought in and read to him. The king felt like he needed some bedtime reading to help him go to sleep. And so a book was brought, his servant brought it in and read it to him. And it just so happened that the book that was read was about a man called Mordecai, who saved the king's life. And so he asked his servant, okay, this man Mordecai, what was done so that he would be rewarded for what he had done in saving my life? And the king was shocked when his servant said, nothing, nothing was done. The king sat up in his bed and he thought, hold on a minute, that's not right. We shouldn't leave it to be nothing to be done. We need to work out what to do. So the king scratched his head and he said to his servant, hey, look in the court. Is any of the princes there who could help me work out what to do? And the servant goes and looks out into the court from the bedroom window and he says, sure thing, your majesty, Haman has just come. So he said, bring him in bring him in. And so Haman was brought into the king's bedroom in order that he could help the king work out what to do. So the, the king explains the situation. He says, um, Haman, what should be done for the man the king delights to honour? And at this point, Haman thinks, hold on a minute. Who could, who could the king want to honour more than me? Oh, wow, he, he must be talking about me. Oh, this is brilliant. And he says, well, your majesty, you should put this person on one of your horses. You should give him your robe, and then you should get one of your most important people to march him round the city and um, declare 
Um, what should we declare? Oh, get, get him to declare this. This is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. And the king says, great idea. Go and do that for Mordecai, the Jew. And at that point, oh, Haman, Haman is, oh, what? Because Haman had come thinking, I'll get the king to help me king Morde to kill Mordecai. But the king has now asked Haman to honour Mordecai more than anyone else. So even though Haman doesn't want to do it, the king's instructions are clear. So he straight away goes and finds Mordecai, and he puts on Mordecai one of the king's best robes. And then he places Mordecai upon one of the king's best horses, and he leads him up and down the streets of the city, declaring loud and clear, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. This is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. It must have crushed Haman to bits to do it, but he did it up and down every street until finally they returned to the palace. And when he got to the palace, Haman ran off home. And as he went, now he's feeling deeply sad and deeply scared because Mordecai, the man he'd wanted to kill, is now a man that the king wants to honour and to praise. And Haman gets a sense that he is in trouble. So off he goes back home. Okay, let's press pause once again. Okay, and we need to go back to our big question we keep on asking, who is in control in our story? Well, now, we'd have to say we're a little less clear, aren't we? I'm sure think Haman is still prime minister. He seems still to be an important man. But now... He has had to honour Mordecai. It would seem that everything is being turned upside down. And it would seem that maybe Haman isn't in control. And the hint, as we try to answer this question, who is in control, that it might be God, is that again, one of God's people, a righteous man, this man Mordecai, who was, until now, unrecognised, unrewarded, has been put on public display and praised and rewarded by Haman, his enemy. All of this suggests that maybe someone else is in control, because again, it's one of God's people being honoured and praised. So maybe, as we look at this question, who is in control, maybe we need to say, well, maybe God is in control. The God who can keep kings from going to sleep and make sure that kings are given the right bedtime reading. And yet, remember, all of this is going on while God's people in the Persian Empire have no idea what is happening. We've got more story to look at. We need to see Haman go back to the banquet. So, press play, would you? And let's pick up where we left off. Almost as soon as Haman gets home, he is whisked off and taken back to the banquet, the second banquet that Esther is holding. As he gets there this time, he's not as happy as he was before. Now he's slightly worried, but he's no idea what's about to happen now, because things are about to get a lot worse for Haman. At the banquet, again, there's amazing food, delicious wine, but the king again asks Esther, he says, what is your request? You don't just want us to come to banquets all the time. What is it you would like me to do? And she explains that a wicked law has been passed 
and that all of her and her people are in grave danger. She says to the king, spare my people. Spare my people, that's my request. She says, a law has been passed, your majesty, to destroy, kill and annihilate all of my people. Spare my people. And the king says, who has done this? Who has passed this law? And she points her finger at Haman and she says, this vile adversary, this wicked Haman, he has done it. And at that moment, Haman now is going, and the king, he's absolutely fuming. He gets up out of his throne and he marches out the room. He goes to the garden. And while he's there, Haman is, oh, he's trying to think what could earth could go, what could he do to make himself safe? So he, he tries to plead with Esther. But as he's pleading with Esther, who comes back in the room but the king? And as he sees Haman, he thinks he's trying to hurt Esther. And he says, what more must be done? And at that point he says, take this Haman away. And one of his servants explains, your majesty, uh, Haman's had an enormous pole set up on which he wants to kill Mordecai. It's back at his house. And the king says, you take Haman and you kill him on it. So back at Haman's house, that's exactly what happened. The vile enemy of God's people was placed on a pole and killed. The enemy of God's people was defeated. At the beginning of chapter 8, we are told that King Xerxes, having killed Haman on that pole, now seeks to really honour Mordecai. The ring, the signet ring that he'd given to Haman, a sign that he was prime minister, is now given to Mordecai. Now it seems that he's in charge. He's prime minister. And Esther gives to Mordecai all of Haman's estate, all his money, his possessions. And all of a sudden we see that now everything truly has been turned upside down. Because now we see God's people in Susa safe. Mordecai and Esther honoured and the king working to protect them. Okay, I wonder if you can press pause for one last time. Okay, it's at that point we're going to have to stop looking at our story and we've got to pause and think, what are we learning through all of this? We can now see that everything has been turned upside down where before Mordecai and Esther were in real danger, now they are honoured and kept safe. And so we come back to our question, who in the Persian Empire, who is in control? And remember, this really matters. It really matters who we make number one, who it is that should be obeyed and trusted and pleased and praised. Because before we had thought, well, maybe Haman, maybe Haman's in control. But now he's not. Now it's clear actually that God is in control. And we see that most clearly through what happens to two people. Through what happens to um, Esther and through what happens to Mordecai. What happens to God's people shows that God, he is in control. Throughout the story, God has still been hidden and yet he's clearly at work. God is hidden, but he's clearly at work, seen in Mordecai and in Esther. But we must remember that while things seem to go well for Esther and for Mordecai, for all of the rest of God's people, they don't have any sense that God is in control. 
because they are still in grave danger from the edict that Haman sent out. But that doesn't change the fact that God is in control because he's shown that he is with the people and in the places that really matter. With Esther and Mordecai and in the king's palace, God is clearly in control. And so, actually, we can learn some significant lessons here because the God who seems hidden yet is at work back in the Persian Empire with God's people is the God who is today sometimes hidden and yet still at work, still in control today because he's shown that he has by working in the place and with the people that really matter. And that's shown by the fact that both Esther and Mordecai teach us big lessons, they teach us some lessons about you and me, but above all they teach us big lessons about the Lord Jesus. They point to him. Let's see how they do that, shall we, each in turn. Let's think first up of Esther. How does Esther point us to Jesus? Remember, she was the endangered believer who put her life on the line to go and see the king and to plead for the rescue of her people. And in doing that, she points us to Jesus. Because he was an endangered believer who didn't just put his life on the line, he laid down his life and died so that he could plead to spare his people. He dies as he goes on the cross. But then he goes to the place of great ultimate power to plead for the rescue of his people. And amazingly, his request is heard and forgiveness is granted. And the fact that Jesus, God's Son, is heard and forgiveness is granted shows us that God is in control. Because with the person, the Lord Jesus, and in the place, the throne room of heaven, God has shown to be at work for the good of his people. And surely that means that we should make God number one. Because he's shown himself to be in control and to be so full of grace. That's Esther. What about Mordecai? How does Mordecai point us towards the Lord Jesus? Well, remember that Mordecai is a righteous man who had been unrecognised, unrewarded, and yet, and yet, Mordecai was eventually publicly honoured and praised. And in that, he points us to the Lord Jesus, who for many years was unrecognised, unrewarded, and yet when he starts his ministry, he goes up onto a mountain And with three of his disciples, God clearly shines a light on Jesus and says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And not only then, but also at Jesus' resurrection, when he comes back to life from the dead, he honours Jesus, who before had been unrecognised, unrewarded. And as he raises Jesus from the dead, it shows us that God is in control. He honours a man who had died in shame. He honours the person who matters the most, the Lord Jesus. And in the place that matters the most, as he is raised again and ascends into heaven. And because God honours Jesus, it shows that God is in control. And the thing is, if if God honours the Lord Jesus by raising him from the dead we can be sure that if anybody trusts in the Lord Jesus, God will honour him. And in the same way that God honoured the Lord Jesus by granting his request and securing forgiveness for us, if we trust in the Lord Jesus, make him number one, 
well, God will be pleased to hear our requests too. Isn't that amazing? That God will be pleased to hear our prayers. Back one last time to that question. Who is in control in our world? At times that's hard to see, but actually God is in control. Even in situations which are dark and difficult for God's people, we know that God is in control because in the person of Jesus, the person who really matters, and in the place that really matters, the throne room of heaven, God has shown he is in control because he's secured the rescue for his people. And because God is in control of our world, boys and girls, grown-ups too, he is the one that we are to honour, obey, trust and praise above everybody else with all of our lives he's the one that we are to make number one and the reason why we want to make him number one is because even though we've blown it so often and not made him number one he's made forgiveness possible in his son the lord jesus who laid down his life for us so this week as you go through the week you might sense that god is hidden Remember he's at work, remember he's in control, and make him number one. Our story's not yet finished, however, in Esther. God's people are still in real danger, and work needs to happen in order that they could be rescued. Do come back next week to find out what happens. But before we close, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, it's not always clear as we look at our world, that you are in control because we often look with our eyes and fail to look through the eyes of faith. Thank you that the Bible reminds us that even when times are dark and difficult for your people, you are in control and it's proved by the fact that you have worked in the place and amongst the people that really matter, securing forgiveness, granting honour to your people. Help us, we pray, make you number one this week obeying, pleasing, praising and trusting you. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're now going to hear from Lucy as she helps us recap the things that we've learnt. Hi there boys and girls. I didn't think the story of Esther could get any more exciting after last week, but this week was really amazing. The big question that Tom kept asking was, who is in control? Throughout the story, we saw that God was in control. There were two bits that made this really clear. Right at the start, Queen Esther is super brave. And when she goes to see the king, her life is spared. That's good news. And because she wasn't killed, it meant that she could ask the king to save her people. God was hidden, but clearly in control. Can you remember when King Xerxes was in his bed? He couldn't sleep. And so, what did his servants bring him to read? They brought him the book that told all about Mordecai. And just in time, reading that saves Mordecai's life. God is hidden but clearly in control. And if God is in control, he should be our number one. 
you again next week, boys and girls, for the last instalment in the story of Esther. Bye! We will no doubt hear back from Lucy again next week. Great to hear from you today, Lucy. Uh, we're now going to respond to the things that we have been learning about, the fact that God is in control in our world. We're going to sing a couple of songs. The first speaks of Jesus being the king, ruler over everything. And then we're going to continue to sing a great hymn, Crown Him With Many Crowns. Jesus is the king, ruler over everything. Jesus is the one, promised one, the son of God. Jesus is the Lord, he's the one you can't ignore. Jesus, Jesus, he is the king. He is the king. He commanded the fishermen, hey, come follow me. And they did, and they did, and they did. Because Jesus is the king, ruler over everything. Jesus is the one, promised one, the son of God. Jesus is the Lord, he's the one you can't ignore. Jesus, Jesus. He is the king. He is the king. He commanded the evil ones, hey, come out of him. And they did, and they did, and they did. Because Jesus is the king, ruler over everything. Jesus is the one, promised one, the son of God. Jesus is the Lord. the Lord. He's the one you can't ignore. Jesus, Jesus, he is the Jesus, is the king, ruler over everything. Jesus is the one, promised one, the son of God. Jesus is the Lord. He's the one you can't ignore. Jesus, Jesus, he is the king.
Well, having sung, we're now going to talk to God in prayer. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you very much for the fact that you, the God who is in control, are building his church, his people. Thank you, dear Father, for the way that you have blessed and strengthened us as a church, even during these difficult weeks as we've been unable to meet, and even now as only some of us are able to meet in the church building. We do want to plead with you that you would continue to build your church. Please would you make us a church that is united, is one, and is active in caring for each other. Please help us do that more and more through practical ways. Help us to evidence our unity by meeting together to pray this evening at our prayer meeting. And we pray that we would be encouraged that you are building your church. And Father, we want to pray very specially for families as they continue to uh, do schoolwork at home. Please would you help children as they work, as the school term starts to wind to a close. Help them work hard and help their parents and any other grown-ups that are looking after them to take good care of them, to be patient and faithful as they teach them. Father, we pray, praise you for our church and we plead with you, just in a moment of silence, for people who we are concerned for, people who are sad, people who need our prayers. Thank you that all the people we have named and thought of are people loved by you. We commit them into your hands and ask you to answer our prayers. And Father, beyond our church, we want to pray for Wolderingfield Baptist Church, a church down near Ipswich. Thank you for James Wilson, the pastor there. Please would you help him as he leads that church, especially as they make plans for a return to meeting back physically together as a church. Thank you for the way in which you have encouraged them and strengthened them through the difficult months of lockdown. Thank you for new people who have tuned into their live stream service and many people who have heard the good news of the Lord Jesus. Please would you continue to grow that church and draw people to know the Lord Jesus through all that goes on there. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our service is nearly concluded. There are just a few notices for me to mention to you. Um, the first is to mention that we have a list of songs put together as a playlist available on YouTube. You'll find that on our YouTube channel um, or in the email that I sent out earlier this week. Uh, this evening, we don't have an evening service on YouTube, but instead we've got a prayer meeting happening on Zoom. We've sent out the link for that prayer meeting on the email I sent out. If for whatever reason you've not yet received that, please do get in touch with me through my email address that's on the screen now, or you can go to the website and use the contact form there and send me an email there, and I'll gladly send you the link um, if you'd like to come. Looking to midweek, um, the identity course continues, looking at who the Lord Jesus is. Um, it's a great course that many people have enjoyed and benefited from, um, that Peter's running. If you want to join that course and you haven't done for the first couple of weeks, uh, please do get in touch with Peter. Again, his email address is on the bottom of the screen. That's happening on Wednesday at 8pm. The other midweek meeting that's happening is on Thursday. Our home groups will meet on Zoom, um, either on Thursday evening or on, well, there's one group that meets on Friday morning. If you're not part of a home group and you'd like to be, these are one of our small group Bible studies. 
do shoot me an email and we'll gladly include you if we can. Then looking ahead to uh, next week, next Sunday, we're going to continue to meet both in the building and online. Our services in the building are at 9.15 and 11.15. Um, if you would like to come to those services, we ask that you just let us know that you're intending to do that. That helps us speed up the registration process. But if you've not managed to do that and you'd like to come, you're really welcome to do so. Uh, we also have a service going up online at 11.15. That's broadcast on our YouTube channel. Um, you can find that here. That will be broadcast at the same time as that second morning service, giving us that sense that we are one church, even though we're meeting in different places. As before, we'd encourage you next week, if you're not able to meet here in the building, to maybe team up with another household and watch the service together. The current easing of the restrictions enables us to do that and to get a sense of fellowship, of being with other Christians. We'd encourage you to think about whether you could do that or even whether you could have someone back to your house for lunch or for tea and coffee after the service concludes online. I think that's all we have to mention by way of notices. It's great to have you with us again this morning. Pray that God continues to show us kindness as a church we're really grateful for your encouragement and your prayers as we've geared up for services beginning in the church building. Uh, we pray that God would continue to build and strengthen us as a church. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads once more, and we'll conclude with a final prayer. We think of those words of the Lord Jesus that says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Father, thank you for evidence of you answering that prayer. Thank you for meeting together as your people. Please would you continue to build and strengthen us and grow us like your son. Would you build your church and encourage us this day? For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.